Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. And, like, Pokemon is 100%, like, the manifestation of collecting things. Oh, my God, it is. But I love it so much. It's terrible. I I love it so much. And, like, I still remember one of the worst, my worst memories with Pokemon is when this kid, like, in class, this was when the original 150 were out, and, like, this was the year that Pika Blue might be coming to the U.S. Oh, and like you God. couldn't tell if it was a skit, right? And it was fucking yeah. Meryl. But so <laughs> anybody who didn't live through this right now is going like, "What the fuck is she talking about?" <laughs> Listen, guys. Before we knew there was going to be more than one fifty, there was a rumor that Pika Blue was coming because they released the Pokemon movie that had Meryl in it before they brought the next hundred and fifty Pokemon in. So everybody was losing their fucking shit. Yep. Anyways, um, yeah, so this kid was, like, going to sell me Pokemon cards because he was like, oh, I I have, like, all these cool cards. And I'm like, oh, what do you have? And I'll never forget this. He said, I have a Ponita. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Are you sure you're not saying it wrong? And he's like, I'm not. I'm like, I've never heard of this Pokemon, so this kid's going to teach me a thing or two. Turns out, just like we thought, he was saying Ponyta wrong. Yep. Because he's an idiot. And I was like, I have a hundred of those. (laughs) I have all the ponyta. I wish I had all the ponyta. I don't even know if I did or didn't have a ponyta at that time. I just remember being so annoyed because I thought I was going to learn about this new Pokemon. I mean, if that kid had done like some sort of online or not online, but like over the phone type thing and you like didn't see his face and it was like a no refunds type of thing where he like slides you like <laughs> the card face down under yeah, the table. <laughs> and you, he gets the money and then he's like no refunds and you're like no refunds and then you flip it over to Ponyta like punch him straight in the face punch him take your money back <laughs> god yeah he could have really gotten me in that scenario man kids are tricky I think he literally didn't know how to say it that's like, fair yeah, so I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. yeah. Like, he was, he seemed earnest enough in his stupidity. Oh. Uh, oddly, a Ponyta was the first Pokemon card that I saw that made me want a Pokemon card. Because, like, Aww. my friend Suzanne got a Ponyta card, and she was, we are on the bus, we were headed to the fucking daycare, and she was like, oh my god, I love Ponyta, like, look at my Pokemon card. And I was like, can I see it? And she's like, no. And we did this dance for like an hour and I just wanted to fucking hold it and see it and look at it and observe yeah. it with my human eyes. And she wouldn't let me. And that and that tantalization is what sold me. And I'm like, all right, these Pokemon cards, I need I need some. I need some because they are coveted clearly by this girl on the bus. Right. 
I didn't even know that there was the cards first. I got into the show first because my friend Nikki B was like, you got to watch it. What was your first Pokemon episode? My first? Uh, that you remember. It was one of the very early ones, like the first, one of the first like five in the series. Um, I think it actually might have been, is either the Charmander episode or the Paris episode. Nice. One of those two. And it might have been like a back to back. Like I watched both of those like on a two for. Oh my God. I hope it was the Charmander episode. I, that would explain so much. It would explain everything about me. I was like, look at this lizard with fire for a tail. I must have a hundred of them. <laughs> the little baby. Little child of mine. <laughs> oh no. Uh, mine was the Butterfree one, which. I watched that one again recently. I did not like that one. Really? Yeah. It's so sad. It I okay, it's sad that the Butterfree like left. But Yeah, but like good that Ash let Butterfree go follow history. Yeah. But it was like the it was like the girl Butterfree who was pink, of course, rejecting it over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> oh, okay. And he just wouldn't fucking stop and leave her alone and I was like, Alright. <laughs> Let's yep. teach kids that if you persist hard enough, they will eventually give in. <laughs> Not, Not to, like, read into it, but... Ugh. Well, no, but kind of, like, you're right. I haven't watched it recently. But, like, and again, this is not a defending it in any way. I feel like that was a very popular thing in TV shows in the 90s. Like, the constant rejection and... Yeah. Be like, yep. just keep trying. You'll get there. Yeah. She just has to see you prove yourself somehow. Right. By she battling to Team Rocket. Her great you are <laughs> oh no well shit well shit I do love Pokemon though I do too <laughs> you know who I don't love <laughs> is it Strand Braxton <laughs> holy shit how did you know <laughs> I don't know gag now. just a feeling <laughs> freaking Scott from Australia calling us out today yeah. I had no idea how Casey and Alex felt about Strandbrooks. Well, let me tell you, Australia Scott, exactly <laughs> how I feel. I, for reasons that will become apparent, was fucking livid at the end of the book today. Yes, correct. What the <laughs> fuck? I don't understand. I, I had to go back and read that line about four times. Like, no, 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 no. No. I like I don't understand it from a character perspective either. It, it's not that I don't like it personally. I don't like it personally, but I don't understand how it even happened. Me either. <laughs> and I feel like we're not going to get that answer in any of the short stories. I will be sending an email. Strongly worded email. After <laughs> Michael this Grant, explain yourself. <laughs> Michael Grant. How could you? Listen, this time it wasn't the emotional damage. I've come to terms <laughs> yes. with that. I mean, how dare you? But right. we're over that. <laughs> oh my god. I just I didn't get it. I just didn't understand it. That was me the either. biggest surprise for me. <laughs> Honestly, that was probably the most off-kilter I've ever felt reading any book. <laughs> ever <laughs> thrown for a goddamn loop 
Yeah, like most of the time I'm just reading along happily. I read pretty fast, so I'm like going along, going along with that. And I was like, what? No. What? No. <laughs> My what? brain rejected it. No. Yeah, I had to read it like so many times. Like, oh. wait, what? And then I was like, no, I'm misremembering. Hmm. How did how did that even go down? Like, yeah, like in what world? I mean, we'll have to. <laughs> I can't even imagine it. Where where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Where did he come from? <laughs> Alex and I are just shaking our heads back and forth. <laughs> yeah, like just like like how? how? Why? For why? Who? For who? For, for when? For what? Like, <laughs> okay, should we just allude to what we're talking to? Yeah, probably we should. Rio apparently briefly was married to Mr. Strand Braxton, canonically, yeah. for some reason. I don't know how. What the fuck? Yep. And then divorced him. Well, that part makes sense, but the marriage part... that The marriage doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm baffled. At all. I'm baffled. I'm so confused. Like the bitch desserts, and then, and, and Rio's like, "Well, I don't know where he went. I don't want to. I don't want to tell his family like what happened." <sighs> okay, hang on. Now I'm okay. Now, mm, okay. So now I'm coming up with a theory of how it happened, okay. but I don't want to say it until okay, we get there. Okay. Okay. Oh no! And the other thing is, is that this isn't a part of the story that was written. This is one of the interstitial, Uh just drop that Uh bomb in an unrelated write-up about Rio. Unrelated (laughs) write-up. Yep. I don't, I'm a gog. A gog. Here's the thing though. We have so much hard shit to get through Uh here. Yeah. This was oh. just like the last thing I, I read. Just, listen, I, I started with that moment because I don't want to do the rest of it. There's like one. Yeah. Well, okay. Like, like the first. I would say there's less like, well, no, I wouldn't say there's less because it's like horrible, bad. One of the worst things in the book. Joy and delight, back to that bad thing, and then not not necessarily bad thing, but like holy shit kind of thing, and then ah, and then then it's fine. I feel like that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I agree with all of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And there's lots of like so much. Lots of like reading in this one. There's lots of reading. And there's so much so much jam packed in. There's so yeah. And there's so much just information. Like, I didn't think my notes were gonna be that long. I guess they're not that long. But for the amount of reading that I'm going to have to do, they are pretty long. Like, it's just there this is a wild section. Yeah. Well, as usual, um, trigger warnings for all the concentration camp-related trigger warnings that we all know. Anyway, so 
yeah, those Purple Hearts Part 6. We're starting at Part 5 the camp, so we're going to the end. We're going to the end, baby. It's happening. <sighs> Alright, here we go. Uh, Captain Rainy Shulterman is looking for a driver and some muscle, and Rio looks up from her hot breakfast made of real, actual food. Huzzah! Yay! Um, it is April now, so, like, many, many months later... Um, the weather has improved, she is free of lice, she's wearing a clean uniform. Everything is way the fuck better than it was when we last visited these girls. Um, so Rio asks Rainy, like, why are you looking at me? Like, what's up? And Rainy says that she's been interviewing some prisoners of war and some displaced people. She's heard some troubling things that she has to go check out. So Rio pokes Cheneau, who is next to her. They abandon their breakfast to go with her. This is a miracle. Mere months ago, they would have shot a man if he had gotten in between them and real food. They've, they've come a long way. It's a good, like, setting of the tone of, like, where they are now. Um, they also grab Corporal Private Sweetheart to drive them. <laughs> uh, so they... Seepy Sweetheart. Corpy Sweetheart. Corpy Sweetheart. Corpy Sorry. little baby. That was not... It's not worth the interruption. <laughs> it was. It's great. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, they drive. They travel through farms and villages and small towns. Um, these are considerably less damaged than some of the German cities. And Brainy says they are looking for a camp of some sort. And Jeannot remarks that there's a weird smell in the area. And she sees some cows nearby. And she's like, oh, it must be the cows. And Rio has grown up on a farm. She knows that's not it. She suspects something way more sinister. Suddenly, something lurches into the road. They skid to a stop, and Rio automatically trains her weapon onto this creature. It is not a creature. It is a man. He is naked and so emaciated, he is like a walking skeleton. He tries to clasp his hands in prayer, but he sinks to the ground face down. Rio forces herself out of the jeep, turns the man over, and he weighs absolutely nothing. She gives him water from her canteen, and he speaks to her in a language she doesn't understand, but Rainy kind of swoops in and says that it is Yiddish, and the man is asking if they are real. She responds that they are, and then he just kind of stares at her in awe, and then the light goes out of his eyes. Rio easily carries him to the side of the road to leave him for Graves' registration, and they drive on. They pass by another emaciated corpse, and this terrible smell is getting even worse. They finally reach a barbed wire fence and an unoccupied garhouse, and they see more starving men in rags just beyond that. Jeannot's voice is that of a frightened child, and she asks, what is this place? They drive into the camp, and Rio sends Chester back for food and medics. Rainy starts talking to the people, saying that they're going to bring doctors and food, and one of the men tells her that the Germans have all run away, and he beckons them to come and look and leads them to a series of wooden huts that make up the camp. Inside, there are more bodies, some dead, some alive, some alive, but soon to be dead. Rainy keeps repeating to all the people around her that they are Americans. They will feed them and care for them and protect them. And she herself is Jewish. And some of them reach for her to touch her, to know that she is real. And their touches are just feather light because they have no strength left. Their guide leads them to a larger building where there are more of the dead and the smell is indescribable and horrible and will never leave any of them as long as they live. Their guide shows them a large trench which has been made into a makeshift, makeshift barbecue pit. 
Jeannot asks once again with tears running down her face, what is this place? Rainy, Rainy responds it is a slave labor camp where Jews are worked and tortured and starved to death and there are many more across Germany. Jeannot says it doesn't make sense, it's insane, madness. And Rainy responds, no, it's evil. That's chapter one. Yeah. It was... This was so horrifying and also like just having all of the images that like we have seen like through mm -hmm. school and like you know across whatever media we've consumed related to it yeah. over the years it was too easy to picture yeah. and i just i can't believe there are people in this country who are advocating for not teaching kids about this like like, yes, it's horrifying, right. but, like, we need to know that this happens. Right. It's not something that you can protect kids from. Like, you know, there's some, like, sure, age-appropriate education, but, like, this is not something that can be not taught. This isn't a mistake that mm -hmm. can be made ever again yeah. like this is yeah. horrifying michael grant was a very good person by putting this next section in here it was a beautiful balm <laughs> that was a slight escape from <laughs> the upsetty around us uh. i mean it's it's not just that though it's like an amazing sort of idea that like even in the most horrific dark terrible places people still find these connections mm -hmm. and that i think is also an important message and it's it's just it's so beautiful that it's frangy like the medic mm -hmm. like the healer the one who yeah. maybe still believes in some kind of god after all this like yeah. But yeah, we're going to go to her now. Uh, she is near Munich, and Frangie spots Sergeant Walter Green of Iowa. Yay! And he is just so pleased to see her. They are just like uh, standing in front of each other, just like grinning ear to ear. Um, the column they're part of has stalled. Frangie's been trying to write a letter on a moving vehicle. It's not working out so well. And then Frangie's like, she finally sees this guy that she's been, you know, seeing on and off through this whole war. And she's very anxious that she smells bad. But she's like, no, no, no. I've had a shower three days ago. I have a clean uniform. This is as good as it's going to get. Which is just so cute. It's very, like, high school to me. It's very much like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. oh, the person I like. Do I smell good? <laughs> Oh, cute and innocent. Um, and what's even more funny is that she's having some very, like, unchristian thoughts about Sergeant Walter Green of Iowa. Mm -hmm. She's like, damn, he looks hot. I want to make out with his face. <laughs> <laughs> she do be thinking oh that, though. Oh, my God. I loved it. Um, so they're just, like, standing there smiling at each other. And finally, he takes her hand and squeezes it, and they sort of let go, but, like, the fingers are still, like, trailing against each other. It's really cute. Oh, my God. Um, so then the column is getting ready to start moving again, and he invites her to ride with him in his Jeep. And then there's this moment where he's, like, 
it would be proper for him to ride shotgun, but it would make it harder to talk to Frangie if he did that. So he just says, fuck it, and he sits in the back with Frangie. <laughs> oh, it's very cute. Um, so they, they're kind of chatting, and he tells her that um, I'm from a town called Davenport in Iowa. They have a very nice college there. And even though you're not Lutheran, it's a very good college for everybody. And I didn't go to college there, but it is very nice. And if you want to be a doctor and get into medical school, you have to go to college. And I totally support women doctors. And who wouldn't want to be married to a doctor? Oh, shit. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> and, and he's like super fucking flustered. And Frangie's privately like, oh, my God, he might have a stroke. But also, he's really adorable, and yes, of course I would, but aloud, she composes herself and she says, Davenport sounds very nice. I would like to see it someday. And Casey is dying, because it's so fucking cute. The The other thing about that chapter was the guy driving the car was listening in to their conversation <laughs> yeah. the whole time, and he was kind of the stand-in for all of us, of uh-huh. like, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh. And when Fred was like, yeah, I'd love to see Davenport sometime. He was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go, like, Walter. Man. Oh, delightful. So good. Um it's fantastic. Yeah. I just I needed this in my heart. Oh. So Uh, They keep driving for a while, and they pass by a small detachment of soldiers, and they see a woman captain, and Frangie knows her. So they pull over, and Rainy is like, oh, good, we need another medic. And Frangie notices that Rainy is not acting like herself. There's something about her eyes and her face. She's just very, like, composed in a strange way. Um, And Rainy tells her she has been assigned to locate some camps. So Frangie says goodbye to Walter, and, and they drive off. And shortly after, they come to a train that has stopped on its tracks, and there are a lot of GIs mulling around. Um, Many are looking horrified, and some of them are even crying, and there's a terrible smell on the breeze. Frangie goes to the first car and sees what she thinks is dead livestock, and then realizes that those are people, and oh my god, some of them are still alive. She starts giving water to a teenage girl, and a white male doctor appears beside her and says, just a little, too much, and it kills them. And even though his voice is calm, tears are streaming down his cheeks. Frangie asks Rainy what's going on, and Rainy says that the SS knows that the Americans are coming. They're trying to evacuate some of the camps to cover up their handiwork. Frangie asks who these people are, and Rainy just replies, Jews. Rainy leaves Frangie to care for the few that will live, and she hears a commotion from further down the train. Four GIs have caught some Germans that want to surrender. Rainy orders them to get into the woods so that she can question them. Once they're far enough in, she lines the Germans up and gives them all cigarettes. She starts the questioning, and one of the Germans starts to mouth off, and she, with no hesitation, shoots him in his left eye. The second one, who has wet himself, begs that he was just following orders. The officer in this group argues that they are only Jews. One of the other Germans breaks away and starts to run, Rainy gives the okay to one of the Americans to shoot him, which the American does gleefully. Rainy turns back to the officer and says, Only Jews? And the guy responds, Well, Poles and homosexuals and other antisocial elements, but mostly Jews. Rainy asks one of the Americans for a smoke grenade, which she stuffs down the front of the officer's trousers while he squirms and yells. 
Rainy brings out an envelope from her coat and pulls out a star of David, saying that her mother sent this for her birthday. The officer's eyes go wide as he realizes what she is, and he starts to plead for his life, for his family, saying, fuck Hitler, they lost, the war is over. And Rainy just pulls out her gun and shoots the grenade that's in his pants, igniting the white phosphorus within. As he screams and burns and thrashes on the ground, the final German drops to his knees in prayer. And one of the remaining GIs says, Malmedy, motherfucker, and shoots him in the face. And they watch for a while for the officer to finish burning and lose consciousness. Rainy tries to light herself a cigarette, but her hands are shaking too much. So she bends down and lights it from the human fire at her feet. She turns to the GIs and asks if any of them have a problem with this. And they say, no, Captain, nothing happened. Not a single goddamn thing. Wee. It's such an interesting way that it's written here because it's certainly not written as like a hurrah, this is a great victory moment. Yeah. Like it's very clear that this is anger, yeah. this is rage, yeah. this is revenge. Yeah. Playing with those dark themes. <laughs> so fucking dark. It It's so dark and like... There's, <laughs> it's, oh my God. Yeah. Like, fuck those guys. <laughs> like, just it, that, when the one guy started going off about like, yeah, they're just Jews. Mm. It's just Jews there kind of yeah. a thing. Like, so fucking pissed at him. Like, that's, <sighs> you're, you're the fucking shitty ass people. <laughs> you're the fucking problem, dude. Yeah. And there are very few words that are strong enough. You're the problem doesn't begin oh to cover it. Yeah, like, I feel like I saw something today that was somebody on Twitter saying like, oh yeah, like, I have friends who were SS and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, people were being like, what the fuck? Like, like you've had dinner with these guys? Like, you're polite to these guys? Like, what the fuck? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Uh, I've never been dragged on Twitter for friending Nazis before. And it's like, do you have any idea what these people think and what they have done? Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. It's fucking it's Like, oh, my God. Like, it's how this again, this is why this needs to be taught. Because, like, anybody who's thinking, like, like, there's, I'm sure there's people out there that were, I don't know, let's be kind to the government for half a second and say homeschooled so nobody ever taught them this shit because their parents thought it was too rough for little Billy to learn about the Nazis. So this poor kid goes out there in the world thinking like, oh, yeah, well, I have friends that are like, you know, Catholics and Lutherans and they, this is probably just another one of those things. No, my guy. No. And the minute you find out the error of your ways, you better change your fucking tune. Like that's that's as much as I'm willing to give somebody. Is like if you getting dragged on Twitter is how you find out that you're in the wrong, that's very gentle. Yeah. That's very, very gentle. Yeah. Because you probably should just be punched in the throat <laughs> by a very strong man <laughs> or woman. <laughs> Or more than one. Or ten. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, and it's one of those things where it's like, 
we, I think I, I take for granted, like, I thought everybody knew this. Mm-hmm. That is not true. It's not true. Yeah, it's not true. And that is a troubling and horrifying thought. Yeah. If you if y'all want a book recommendation for like younger kids, maybe like I don't know fourth fifth grade, check out Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. It's not like it's probably not the best. Like it's not like what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm going to stall until I figure out what I'm trying to say. It, that was that was one of my first like books that was kind of about the Nazi occupation of, I think in this case, it was like Copenhagen. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not from a Jewish person's perspective. It's like from a girl who has a friend who is Jewish and has to hide her. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you know, there are books and resources out there where it's like, if you don't want to immediately like drop like, concentration camp photos on your kid like there are other things that at least make them aware of kind of the situation that you can then work up to a more informed education about it so like you don't have to shield them completely from this you should not shield them from this completely no you should not and if somebody in you know, your Discord or whatever is spreading Nazi ideas. You don't have to be polite and hear them out. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, sometimes the Nazis have a similar fandom or interest as you. It does not make them a good person. <laughs> nope. No, it doesn't. Oh, Christ. oh no would you like to move on i'm sad now (laughs) i'll okay i'll say one more thing and then i think we should move on um i wish that i were a much more educated eloquent person about all of this to be able to kind of appropriately discuss how horrifying everything that happened in concentration camps and with the entire Nazi party and the ideals that were spread. I I wish that I had something a lot mm-hmm. better to say about it, or at least a lot more, I don't know, again, eloquent, educated. And I don't, but like, holy shit, do I wish I could just fucking slam everybody <laughs> right now here. Like, this is, God, that's horrifying. And it's horrifying that we're sitting here, you know, however many years later 60 years later now and there are still people that think that this shit is okay or that like you know oh well like i'm just a lesser like a lighter version of it so it's not so bad like that's unacceptable yeah and i will not understand anybody who chooses to argue that way that's absolutely unacceptable yeah yep all right that's all i've got nice I wish I were better for all of you listening. And I'm not. Yeah. And that's where we are. Like we're just we're just people like we went we went to school, we learned about this, but like we are not in any way even close to being experts. And 
Yeah. Except about the moon landing. I know <laughs> everything about the moon Phil, landing. Phil Collins. Touch, Phil Collins's people touched the moon. He ran out. He high-fived the moon. He high-fived Yeah, literally, like, that's a great reminder of the level I'm coming to you guys at. <laughs> This is not an educational podcast. We this just... is not an... I God, in this scenario, I wish I were so much better for for all of you. I wish that I had so much more to say and yeah. more. I just wish I had more. But I don't. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. I, I am. I wish I'd, I wish I could say things in a lot more concise and educated way, but... But like we're not we're not historians. We're just no, doing our dear God, best. No. We came here to talk about animorphs and we stumbled into this. We <laughs> <laughs> to talk about animorphs and how much Strand Braxton sucks. We we yeah. do have some experience with shitty men, so um plenty of experience with shitty men. So yeah. We can sort of talk about that. <laughs> oh boy. Uh you like to all right le- yeah let's letters continue on the journey letters time i i think it goes up from here i think it gets slightly better from here yeah it's kind of a rough part coming up but it's <sighs> it's fine it's fine it's all fine it's all fine i mean none of it's fine but it's all terrible i'm sorry yes oh no Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, we are going to letter sent, and I'm not going to tell you who wrote each letter this time. The mystery. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Marr, I am sorry to be writing you out of the blue like this. I am Master Sergeant Walter Green, U.S. Army. I have... I, I, I have had occasion to meet and I believe become friends with your daughter, Sergeant Frangie Marr. I am writing to ask your permission to court Frangie. Of course, this would only happen when the war is over, but I hope once that happy day comes to spend some time with Frangie. My intentions are only of the most honorable nature. I am a little older than your daughter, being 26 on my last birthday. I have a degree in engineering from Iowa State University. My family, mother, father, and seven brothers and sisters, all younger, lives in Iowa, which is not so very far away from Tulsa. I am a healthy, God-fearing man. I do not smoke or drink or gamble. I believe I will be I will easily find employment as I have numerous contacts with local businesses who assure me they could use a man with my qualifications. I would do all in my power to make your daughter happy, and to be completely honest, I cannot imagine being happy myself unless it is with Frangie. But I will not proceed in pressing my case until I can do so with your blessing. Sincerely, Walter Green. It's like a fucking job application. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Here are my qualifications. Here's my intention. Here are my skills. Dated this day. Here's how to contact me. It's literally an application. It's so funny. Uh, It's like, it's so his personality, though, I feel like. You know, his nickname was Professor. Like, he's just so proper and, like, academic. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Emotionally... I don't know. <laughs> I, I love Walter Green. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't understand so it at all. He's he's such a dork. <laughs> he is such a dork. He's such a nerd. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wonderful. 
Dear Miss Castain, it is with regret that I must inform you that we cannot publish your short story on the line with the Soldier Girls. It simply does not meet our editorial needs at this time. However, I believe you have talent and you may yet become a published author. I urge you to continue writing. Sincerely, Wilmer Cutler, Associate Editor, The New Yorker Magazine. Wilmer. Wilmer. Wilmer Cutler. Wilmer Cutler, The New York Times. The Transatlantic Man. Transatlantic Man is back. <laughs> horrifying. Truly horrifying. You had to. It's a New Yorker. I had to. It's a New York. Yeah. It's a New Yorker. That's where he lives. Had to do it. Had to do it. <laughs> okay. My dear daughter, my sweetest of hearts, I am so terribly sorry to tell you that daddy has passed away. It was his kidneys, although the doctors say if it wasn't that, it would have been his lungs. We will bury him tomorrow. I don't have the words for this, Frangie. My heart is filled with grief. He could be difficult at times, but I loved your father with all my heart and soul, and I am destroyed. I don't know how to make this easier for you. I thought maybe I wouldn't tell you because I know you have so very much to cope with already. But in the end, I thought you must be told. I wish there was another way. I will write to Harder as well. I suppose he will be relieved. Come home safely to me, Frangie. Obol and I need you. Your loving mother. Diddy. I didn't... I didn't even know how to take this at this point. I was so, like... Like, there was nothing Michael Grant could have written at that moment after reading the previous yeah. couple chapters yeah. that would hit me in any way. Yeah. So I was just like, all right. <laughs> Like, and that's horrifying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I just couldn't take anymore. So I was just like, yeah, he's dead. Yep. Okay. It's like another sprinkle on top of the shit Sunday. Right. But it's already so full of sprinkles that like, I couldn't pick out the individual one that you I just know. put on there. It's all bad. There's so, so many bad. It's just, it's just all bad. First letter was cute though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we started on a real high yeah. and then fell. Fell. <laughs> Although, like, honestly, I'll, I'll, like, the New Yorker letter kind of made me more excited. I thought that was very cool. Like, you know, it's again just, I'm like, oh, guess who's our secret writer of this whole series? Hell yeah. It's confirmed. But not confirmed, but it will be confirmed, probably. Probably. We don't know. Yeah. We haven't read this book. <laughs> We're just going along. We're just going along for the ride. Just having having a ball. Having a good time. Having a good time. Okay. It's our last rough, our last rough patch. And then smooth sailing beyond, probably. I don't know. Like I said, we haven't read this book. Yeah, we don't know. Okay, where the fuck are we? I forgot to write down the locations. Bavaria. The candy capital of the world. Is it really? I don't know. I just That's a quote from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> oh, well, if anyone would know, it would be Willy Wonka. All right, all right, all right, all right. We're in Bavaria. All fun. Rio and her platoon move to enter a German village that Rio does not know the name of because it seems exactly the same as the, ha the half dozen villages they've already gone through. That's actually funny now because it's Michael Grant said it was Bavaria and Rio's just like, eh, some fucking town. 
Some it's some motherfucking town. <laughs> I've seen so many of these pieces of shit already. Oh god. Rio is me sometimes, and in this moment, Rio is me. That makes sense. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, her platoon is there. They start securing the roads and otherwise start their occupation, and they are surrounded by resentful and frightened Germans, displaced people trying to walk back to their countries, and concentration camp survivors. Everybody needs food and water, but circumstances are such that supplies are not easily available at this time. Nearby, a couple of farmers are guarding four pigs from a couple hundred DPs, mostly Polish people that have been slaves of the Nazis. Rio settles the matter by shooting three of the pigs and letting the farmer run off with his final one as the DPs start to chow down. She's like, get out of the way, <laughs> all of you. Um, so they've cleared the road for Rio and her platoon to enter the village, where they immediately see that the whole place has been ransacked and looted, and Bibi is very upset by this, because he is a precious child. Poor sweet Hufflepuff boy. He couldn't find anything to salvage. Aww. Uh, they were most likely looted by retreating SS, who also went so far as to hang some civilians for disloyalty and leave them in the streets for public display. Um, so Rio kind of wonders where the mayor is, and Gear remarks that it's quiet. Too quiet. Um, they spot a church and decide to send a couple of units to sneak around it in the back in case there are snipers, and she sends Jack, Cheneau, and Bibi to the back of the hotel. There is a small explosion, everybody ducks for cover, and Gear and Rio check their weapons and head down another street. They hear a single rifle shot and see a cloud of dust where the bullet narrowly missed gear. Rio kicks open a door of a nearby residence and orders everybody to get out. She fires a warning shot into the wall that connects this house with the one behind it, and then they blow up the wall with a rifle grenade and enter a bedroom. Rio opens the window and sees into the street, and there she sees Jack lying on his back, clutching his stomach, the side of his uniform red. She immediately tries to bolt through the door, but Gear has to tackle her and keep her out of sight of the sniper. She is struggling and irrational, and she draws her knife and points it at Gear's throat, and he keeps yelling, What the fuck are you doing? It's me! You can't go out there, you know he's bait. Rio finally gets a hold of herself and yells at Jack to hang on, and he yells at her to stay back. She tells Gear to distract the sniper with cover fire while she goes to get Jack, and he's like, No, that's fucking stupid. And the sniper shoots Jack again in the leg. Rio sees Melina and Jeannot across the street in another doorway, and she yells at Jeannot to stay put and Melina to go get a bazooka team, but when she looks out again, they are both gone. Gear says they're going to try and encircle the sniper. Rio leans out the window and shoots at where she thinks the sniper might be, and ducks out of the way just as he fires a shot to where she had just been. She and Gear run up the stairs of the dwelling, where two old people are hiding in the bed. Rhea looks through the window and can see someone moving at the top floor of the hotel nearby. She looks down at Jack, who is still bleeding in the street, and she starts to dissociate. She's trying to think of something she can do, and she's coming up with nothing. And before she knows it, she's sitting on the ground. Her legs have collapsed beneath her. And these are the same legs that carried her through Italy, Sicily, France, Belgium, and Germany. Gear kneels down next to her and comforts her, says he'll take care of it. She's not fighting this war alone. Suddenly, an explosion from a grenade, a rapid round of M1 fire, 
and they hear Jeannot yell, All clear! Rio's legs magically work again. She runs down into the street and collapses next to Jack, who already has a medic attending to him. He tries to smile at her, and she feels like she's back on the beach in Tunisia, trying to keep blood inside of Kerwin. Like she's looking down at Tilo's body in Italy. Like she's watching Lupe Camacho suddenly stop running. Like she hears a voice telling her she's in charge because Dane Sticklin is dead. She was supposed to keep them alive. Jack jokes, are those tears? And she's like, no, I just have dust in my eye. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure. But then his morphine kicks in and he goes to sleep. Just as Rio hears another explosion inside the hotel. She runs inside to the front desk and she sees Melina clutching a bleeding arm and Jeannot on the floor. For the second time, Rio sinks into her knees and she's no longer there. She's on the ground, limp and helpless for the longest time, even as Gear wraps her in a blanket and BB gives her a cup of tea. And it is several hours later until Rio Ricklin is back in her body and she finally stands up. Fucking fuck. Just leave it like that, Michael Grant. I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, it's such a such a change from how she is in every other scenario like this like when we see strand braxton shot in the middle of the woods and when we see like the other the other people fall she was so much more Uh she was mad she was upset she was all those things but like she broke yeah she broke and started having flashbacks yep yeah of all the terrible shit that's happened her two favorites go down. She's like, yeah, no, I'm going to stop functioning now. And the fact that it wasn't just Jack. Yeah. It was when Jeannot went down too. Yeah. And especially after Jeannot's, the way that like everything's been going with her and her saying like, you don't need me and I can do my own thing. And like, we always fight when we talk and like things are not like, but at the end of the day, as much as it seemed like Rio never needed, you know, and maybe she didn't technically when she went down, it broke her. Oh, some good writing, man. That's so good. Oh no. And it's like the very end of the war too. Like, the Mm -hmm. fact that it's, like, you know, that line about, like, these legs that carried her through Italy and Sicily and Belgium, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's gone through so much. And now they're at, like, the very fucking end. Something, some offhand one sniper in this, like, fairly deserted town. Just, like, willy-nilly when their guard was down just took out, you know, two people. Yep. And it's like, god fucking damn it. We almost yeah. made it to the end. I was supposed to keep them alive. Right. And I failed. Like, oh, shit. Yep, that feeling of we were supposed to make it over the finish line together. Yeah! Oh, no! All right, we got an interstitial. Um, there is a slur in here that I'm going to replace with a different word, just so we know. Sounds good to me. Cool. All right. Interstitial, 107th EVAC Hospital, Würzburg, Germany, April 1945. Oh my goodness, did Jeannot Castain die? Did our reluctant warrior with the perfect figure and the gorgeous blonde hair die? 
No, gentle reader, I did not die. But given my stupidity, I probably deserve to. I can only say that I was somewhat keyed up, having just managed to kill the sniper, and in my exuberance, I did the stupid thing. Like an idiot greenhorn, I reached for a souvenir in that hotel, that brass bell they used to summon bellboys, and I even had a split second to see the wire before the booby trap went off. Thank God kraut grenades are lousy. A decent American grenade would have killed me for sure. Anyway, that ended my war with a bang. They got the medics and the stretcher bearers to me pretty quick. I never did lose consciousness, not then at least, and I seem to recall doing some impressive caterwauling and cursing and flailing around like a great baby. Rhea lost her mind for a while, poor kid, thinking she'd gotten me and Jack both killed. Way, way back when we began this journey, I told you, gentle reader, that sooner or later, man or woman, veteran or greenhorn, we all cry. Well, I was starting to think Rhea was the exception, that she had no breaking point. It was almost reassuring to see that she did. Tough, scary, knife-toting, kraut-killing Rhea Ricklin. Human. And after a while, Rhea was beside me. She caught up on us on the way to the field hospital. Me on one side of the ambulance, Jack on the other side, blessedly unconscious. Both of us with swaying bags of plasma suspended over our heads. Rio in between, getting in the way of the docks. Of course she blamed herself. Rio does that. If she were writing this tale instead of me, it would have been titled, Things I Screwed Up by Rio Ricklin. Anyway, I took shrapnel of both the metal and the wooden variety. I lost most of one breast. I'll have a nice scar on one side of my face. Maybe I'll lose the limp over time, and I'll get a purple heart. Yippee! A few days after I blew myself up, Hitler shot himself in the head in Berlin, the smoking ruined capital of the Third Reich. The Thousand-Year Reich, old Adolf called it. Well, Adolf, not quite a thousand years. More like twelve. Burn in hell, Adolf. Burn forever in hell. VE Day, victory in Europe, came. And I guess, gentle reader, you might think we all had a big party. I suppose some GIs did celebrate, but no one I knew did. Here at the hospital, we pulled out our smuggled booze and drank quiet toasts. But they were not toasts to victory. We drank to our friends and comrades in arms, the men and women who would never go home. And by the end of that, we were pretty damn drunk. And that's my war, gentle reader. My war in Rios and Frangies and Rainies and all the others who I've written about here in these feverish squallings. It only remains to go home. I only wish I had one. I don't exactly know what I'll do with all these typed pages. Maybe I'll see if someone wants to publish them. And maybe I'll tell more of the story, because the damn thing about wars is that they don't end with a snap of fingers, or even a bullet to the head. This war has killed, who even knows, millions. Isn't that enough? Do we need to know just how many millions? Millions dead. Millions wounded. Millions without homes, sick and starved and cold and alone, being eaten from within by grief and guilt and fear. I somehow thought if I wrote it all down, it would be out of my head and on paper. I felt maybe I could capture it all, make it into something I could hold and move and stick in a box like Sergeant Cole told us to do. But that's not going to be how it works. My body will carry scars, and my mind will carry memories burned deeper than scars. But after what Rainey told me about Orador, and after Malmedy, and especially after what I saw at Buchenwald, and what Frangie told me about Dachau, I know I won't feel guilty about killing Krauts. If anyone ever needed to be killed, it's those Nazi bastards. I hear stories here in the hospital, from GIs who've been places I've not. They talk in hushed tones of German cities turned little more into stone quarries, with desperate Germans, old men and children, sifting through the wreckage. 
German women selling their bodies for a candy bar. German mothers selling their daughters for a loaf of bread. How many of those women were at Nazi rallies screaming their young lungs out, yelling Heil Hitler? How many husbands and fathers cheered as the mad bastard in Berlin ranted about Jews and Slavs and homosexuals and Romanis and all of his other scapegoats? If you don't want your cities burned down all around your ears and your daughters whoring for GIs, don't start wars. Already I see the articles in the Stars and Stripes and in magazines about the possibility of war starting between us and the Soviets. I guess all good things come in threes, right? World War One, World War Two. hey, we can't stop there, can we? Well, not me. This soldier girl has had all the... Sorry for the interruption, gentle reader, but Rio just showed up here with orders for me not to go back with the other evacuees from the hospital, but to travel back with the 119th. I've got to be ready in 20 minutes, so I'm going to quickly wrap this up and pack my bag. I am going back with Rio and Gear and BB and the other slobs I've spent almost three years with. Not that, not Jack, though. Jack, or Gimpy Jack as we now call him just to irritate him, is already on his way home, back in Britain. I'll miss that man. Rio will miss him more, but despite my prodding, she never did get to the point of telling Jack she's crazy for him. She's his sergeant, and from Rio's point of view, that's the end of the story. Stubborn girl. But like I said, I'll miss him too. Him and Kat Preeling, who is already back in the States having been discharged with the classic million-dollar wound. And Gear and BB and Milkmaid and Sweetheart and Sergeant Cole and Mackie. And the ones who didn't make it. I'll miss them all, even the ones I hated half the time. Personal dislikes don't mean much, stacked against the fact that the fellow you think you can't put up with is standing right next to you in a freezing wet hole waiting for the next 88. If you wore the uniform, you are my brother or sister, and that is forever. Hey, I just looked at my orders. They seem to have originated with a certain Captain Elisheva Schulterman, approved by some brigadier general, no less, named Herkemeyer. Well, Rainey's another one I'll have to find a way to keep track of. In fact... All right, all right, Rio is nagging me. I was going to say that, in fact, while the war may be over, it won't quite be over for us. And I guess that means this story isn't over. Maybe down the road. But hell, gentle reader, for now at least I must end with this. Rio will be threatening me with that damned knife of hers if I don't get moving. So here are my final words of wisdom. This has been the greatest thing I've ever done or will ever do. I suppose society will try hard to put us all uppity soldier girls back in a box with a nice pink bow on it. And I don't know what happens next. I don't know what the world is going to think of me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that should really scare me. But gentle reader, we soldier girls have been to Casarine, to Sicily, to Salerno, to the river and Monte Cassino. We've been to Omaha Beach and the Bow Cage, to the Hurtgen and the Bulge. We've been to the camps. Try putting us in a box. Try. We won't scare so easily. Right now, getting ready to leave this hospital, this continent, this war, I'm not feeling afraid for the future. Hell, I am now Sergeant Cheneau Castain. So, of course, I fear nothing. Except when Rio shoots me that look and starts loosening her kamiya and it's scabbard. It's Cheneau. We did it. We figured it out. I want to go back and figure out how early on we started suggesting <laughs> Juno. Because it was book one. I know it that. It was book one. I don't know, man. It was pretty early. Who did I think it was originally? I think I thought it was Rio originally. Yeah, I we were making bets about all of them, I think. Yeah. We're like, Rio, it could be Jack. Uh, 
But yeah, I think we came to Jeannot pretty quickly. I feel like we did. I feel like we first started saying it like, oh God, like three quarters of the way through book one. Mm-hmm. And we never, never refrained from that. Yeah, it got stronger as time went on. Yeah. It was like there was some comment early on about when she was in the hospital. She made a comment like, oh, I'll never wear a bikini again. And that's when we're like, it's Jeannot, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Man, but like, okay. All of the, I feel like all of the things that Jeannot alluded to in the interstitials came to fruition. Like the whole like, I shot a man in his neck. And, Mm. you know. One of somebody lit their cigarette on on a burning Nazi corpse and shit like that. Yeah, I think that shot was... unarmed guards. Yeah, and, yeah. I <laughs> loved that this was the end letter, like how like at the end of Anne Wars, the end of the war letter oh, of like yeah. don't like it, fucking do something to change it, but yeah. written within the story. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So great. <laughs> this is totally jumping ahead, but I like how Jeannot basically got like the Marco ending too. Yeah, she did. <laughs> that she did. Oh, that was the other thing. It really hit me when she said like, oh, if, she, if uh, Rio had written these books, it would be like, here are all the ways I messed up. I'm like, yeah, so Jake. Jake. <laughs> the Jake book. It's Jake. <laughs> and then Rio making sure she went home with her. <sighs> And Jack went to Britain. Yeah. Like, how did that all come about? I don't know. Like, was that his choice? Or or was, you know? Were they... Did he try to talk to Rio again about his feelings? Oh, and then no. he decided to go back to Britain when she didn't seem interested. Mm. Seems improper. I was so... I mean, I, I think I was surprised and I wasn't surprised. By yeah. that not happening at this point. Like, I don't know. I was finally like, you two can be together! And then I'm like, but you're both... I don't know. You both I, won't do it. Yeah. God damn it. God fucking damn it. Just be in love with each other, damn it. Right, just admit your feelings. God. Sort your feelings, you know it to be true. <laughs> Ugh. Alright. Shit. There's so much still to go. There's so much still to go. And it's wild shit. It is insane. It's the end of the war. After the war, I went back to New York, <laughs> etc. It's true. <laughs> uh, okay, it's the war's end. Frangie gets off the bus and runs into the arms of her mother. So much time has passed that Obel has grown two feet and now towers over her. She pulls them into a hug, a big group hug, and they stand there together in the middle of a segregated bus station. Then they start the long walk home, and Obel tells Frangie how upset he was that he missed the whole war, and Frangie has to tell him everything. And she can't imagine telling him about the soldiers that were torn and burned in the prisoners of Dachau. So she promises to tell him the important stuff. As they walk down the sidewalk arm in arm, A white man is approaching from the other direction. They part in the middle to make way for him, but he says he won't walk in the middle of them and they need to get out of the way. 
So Frangie steps in the gutter so he could pass. Frangie asks her family if they can stop at her dad's grave on the way home, and that when they get home, they're going to write to Harder and tell him that they are his home and his family. As she lies in her own bed later that night, she thinks about how she didn't ask or suggest welcoming her older brother back. She ordered it. She also thinks about how she stepped into the gutter for that white man. She thinks about the black faces from the war that defended America, how she saved some and lost others, how none of them should have to step into the gutter for anyone. She knows a different fight is coming, one that they will win, and she finally falls asleep. Oh, man. I got, I again, I got very mad at that scene, too. It's like one of those things where you just wish you could be like, do you not know who the fuck you're talking to right I now? I know. Yeah, it's infuriating. It is absolutely infuriating. Fuck. Staff Sergeant Rio Ricklin pushes Janot in a, re- in a wheelchair down the street. They had made it as far as Monterey, California, and had to hitch a ride with a truck driver to get up to Judwell Falls. Shoved in the back between sacks of fertilizer, truly triumphant heroes returning home. They walk through the familiar town square and realize that nothing has really changed. They pass the bandstand where Strand asked Rio out, and she thinks about how she had no idea what became of him. She has no idea what to tell family and friends if she runs into them, and how no one is under going to understand how much of a coward he is. She thinks about how everyone breaks. She herself broke when Jack and Janot were in danger. But what matters is what happens next. Did Strand ever find his courage and return to his unit? They finally reach her house. She sees the gold star, Rachel's star, and she sees a blue one for herself. She leaves Janot on the walkway and starts to knock on the door, and then remembers that this is her house. So she opens the door and yells, Anybody home? Ugh. Fucking Strand Braxton. Yeah. Fucking Strand Braxton. It must be so, like, so mentally wild to go through all of that and then to get back to where you came from and find out, like, nothing has changed here. Yeah. That's crazy. But, like, I guess you were kind of fighting so that nothing could change back at your at your home i guess yeah yeah that's very true like that's a sign that you accomplished what you intended yeah but also like at the same time it must be infuriating because it's like nobody nobody knows nobody knows yeah i like i sacrifice so much and you guys just get to like la-di-da eat burgers and you know go to movies and shit and I mean, even if like that's one of those like that's what you intended, yeah. like that's you get back and you're like, this is exactly what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad it's this way. They still did have to like hitch a ride and put the wheelchair in with the manure and stuff. Yeah. And so it's like, well, there could be some accommodations made. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love I love that, though. Like that's that's one of those details where it's like, this is real. This is a real thing that happened. It's not like, oh, the heroes right. came back and they were escorted in like a ticker tape parade all the way to Jedwell Falls and there was a parade and they got cake and a bubble. No, it's like, it, I just, I love that Michael Grant is like, yeah, but no, it's not perfect. No, no one cares. They still make you step off the sidewalk. The white men still make the black people yeah. step off the sidewalk. Yeah. And there's no one that cares at all about, you know, Rio and... 
Jeannot getting back and they'll never have to know what they experienced and that's just where we are. Yep. All right. Rainy's turn. Now for the most insane one. It's very insane. Yeah. Okay. John Herkemeyer is now a brigadier general and he asks Rainy what she's going to do now. She has not gone home yet, but she has remained in Germany, wrapping up interrogations and filing reports. She somewhat fantasizes about showing up in the Pacific to find her brother and make him salute to her. And she loves him, but just a tiny bit of revenge for him being an idiot big brother would be very sweet right now. Um, now she answers Herkemeyer, I assume I'd be learning Japanese. And he's like, oh, you don't know? The Air Corps dropped some new bomb on Hiroshima, annihilated an entire city, and it's a matter of weeks, maybe even days before they surrender. And Rainy just kind of sits back in her chair and goes, huh, and now has no idea what will come next. Herkemeyer says that the the word on the street is that intelligence will be cut back, but he's happy to introduce her to Bill Donovan at the Office for Strategic Services. Yep. (laughs) I was just like so amazed at Rainy's reaction to like, yeah, the A-bomb annihilated an entire city. She was just kind of like, oh. Guess I gotta reorganize my life plans. And I was like, um, <laughs> that's not- <laughs> shit. Yes, I mean, just like Rainy is the most, I mean, I'm not gonna say the most traumatized of all of them, but Rainy has seen probably the most shit out of all of them. Yeah. Like, she was both in like a prison yeah. and then had to go through like camp by camp by camp. Yeah. So, like, she's seen a lot of shit. Yeah. So I have to imagine at some point she's just like, all right, another atrocity. Okay. Yeah. Well, that changes my Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I guess that makes sense. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess part of me wishes that, like, there was more to the events of... of the atomic bombs like instead of just kind of like a throwaway line (laughs) yeah like it it definitely feels like there was a lot of other ideas that we had to like sit with and like sit with the heaviness of it and think about it and then this one is just kind of like da 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 yeah like you know yeah yeah it would have it would have (laughs) been nice to have at least heard like rainy's inner dialogue about or at least to have like I don't know but that's like yeah that's a whole other book too yeah like this was not really focused on like the Japanese part of the war and like even right. even mention of like the internment camps I think they mentioned it like once or twice but like that really wasn't the focus it was just kind of like part of the landscape um, yeah but I don't know. Yeah, and it's also like a lot of the ending of this book is very much kind of focusing on this message about like what can you do to like prevent this and like what can you do to prevent that and like go vote and like, you know, if you're not proud of what your country's doing, then take steps to change it. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine how 
suddenly being like, yeah, this is like, you know, seeing these atrocities, people are taking home the message that they can't be like these people. They can't commit these atrocities. They can't do this. Also, they did drop an entire atomic bomb on a city and level it. So that's hard to like kind of, you know, handle within the context of the rest of the meaning of this story. Like I can see why, like, you know, yeah. I can see why maybe he didn't want to broach that in the final stretch of like, this is like one of the last chapters. Maybe, yeah. maybe not right now. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's hard to reconcile with the rest of the messaging that we're <laughs> trying to take away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know is correct. I mean, also, I kind of had the same reaction to at this point where I'm like, literally, it's like, you know, we're seeing like the most horrific parts of all of the war and everything. And then we get to this point and they're just like, yeah. And then they drop the A-bomb. You're just kind of like, all right. All right. There's 30 pages left. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> what do I do with this? Oh, no. Oh no. Oh shit. Are you ready to get even more what one of my favorite parts <laughs> is in this section. Oh yeah? It's so funny. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Alright, I'm ready. Fucking almost ten years later, that's where we are now. Alright. Frangie can't believe that Jeannot and Rio made it to her graduation. Rio is now a lieutenant colonel, and her uniform is decorated in a colorful billboard of different medals. Jeno points out Kat in the crowd, standing next to another woman. Rio is like, is that her sister? Her roommate? <laughs> and Franchi and Jeno kind of look at each other like, no, she still doesn't get it. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Michael Grant literally did the whole, like, you know the meme where it's, like, two girls, like, cuddling or like making out and somebody's like they seem to be very good friends yes <laughs> he literally did that in this book <laughs> he literally did that i laughed so hard <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so yeah yeah fringy and and uh Chanel were like yeah cat's a lesbian she likes girls and rio's like oh wait why am i the last to know this and Shino's like, yeah, you're still that naive girl from Jetwall Falls. So they want to go say hi to Kat, but it's time for the ceremony to begin. So they go sit down. Shino wedges her bad leg under the seat in front of her. And she's like, oh, by the way, Rio, I'm sending her a copy of my new book. And Rio's like, another one. And Shino's like, yeah, I live in Beverly Hills. It's not cheap. And Rio's like, yeah, and you've got to keep all those pool boys paid. And Jeannot replies, I'm twice divorced. I can look at my pool boys if I want to. <laughs> Total Marco ending. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, she's a lobster at the bottom of the pool to get her car keys, and it's not a big deal. <laughs> she had seven Ferraris. <laughs> seven and a Maserati oh or whatever. My God. <laughs> oh, okay. Here it is. Here it is. The speeches begin on stage, and Janoa asks Rio if she's dating anyone, and Rio says, No, not since Strand and I divorced. 
what the fuck? How? How? How did you get? How did you stumble into the marriage in the first place? <sighs> well, okay. This is our only clue. Jeanneau says, dude, that happened before Korea. I told you that relationship wouldn't work. And Rio says, I felt like I owed him a try. What? I don't understand. Here's, okay, here's... Tell me. Okay. So, all right. What I'm thinking is that what happened was she got back to town, right? Nobody cares who they are. Yep. That's how this all started. Yep. And all of a sudden, she started reverting back. Her parents probably kept treating her like how she was before she went to the war. And then she starts trying to act like, you know, that daughter again. And she starts being like, I have to be at the counter with the rolling pins and the breads and stuff again. <laughs> and then she just slowly kept like Strand Braxton came back into the picture. picture. Jack wasn't. Jack had left. And she starts getting that whole like, okay, well, maybe it can work. Maybe like, you know, the war is over. Maybe it can be different. And so she was like, all right, we'll do it. We'll see if it works. Then they get married. And then she leaves. But like, do they talk about the war? Because I feel like that would have just... Probably not. Yeah, I feel like that would have brought up just too many bad feelings. I can see it like he finally came back into town after however the fuck long. Dyed his hair a different color because he's got to hide. Change his name. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, and maybe Rio was going through like a really bad time. Mm -hmm. And he was like, so, like, this is behind us. And I really want to just like start over from scratch. Yeah. And she was like, okay, fine. And then the Korean War happened, and she was like, I'm going to go do this. And he was like, oh, how could you? With the war, and you're just a freak in a freak circus, and they shouldn't allow women into battle. He reverted back to it, and she was like, not again, bitch. Goodbye. Yeah. Fuck. And it was probably like when it was more peace times, things at home was like she left for the day, and she came home, and he could kind of pretend she had a normal job, and so he kind of like played it off like that. And eventually things just went to shit. To shit. Ugh. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they were only together for like a week. <laughs> and then she was like, this is a huge mistake. Goodbye. Maybe they got drunk and got accidental married. Oh no. They did like a Britney Spears. They did like a Britney Spears. Oh, a Kevin Federline, right? That was his name? I don't know. Sure. I feel like I nailed it. I just know it was in Vegas. I feel like I nailed it. <laughs> I don't know that I did, but I feel like I nailed it. I that sounds right. I don't even know who that is. Just That's Britney Spears is short short term husband when she first got married. Twenty four hour husband. I feel like that's not the twenty four hour one. They were together for a little bit, like enough to have a kid or two. But it was her first one. She was very young. I don't... This doesn't matter. I'm sorry. We don't need to talk about Britney Spears' husbands. <laughs> At some point in time, Strand and Rio were married, and I hate it. Yeah. That's the point of the thing. I hate it so much. I truly hate it. I just... 
I want that story, though. Like, I want Michael Grant to explain himself why he thinks that Rhea would ever, like, give Strand a second chance after fucking deserting from the war. And, like, that's the thing, though. They leave it open-ended of, like, did he ever go back? And we don't find out if he went back or not. So, like, he might have. He might have. And then if he did... Would that have redeemed him a little? I mean, not in my eyes. Not in my eyes. He's still a piece of shit, but real. I hate him so much. Like, if I were like, I hate him so much. I really don't understand how they got back together. That's that's like the burning question for me. Yeah, like how did this happen? How did this happen? Why? What poor unfortunate soul had had to to die die for you to wear that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. I don't know. Oh my god. I just, I don't like it. Was it like her parents pressuring her to like, come on, you'll want a normal life, just get married, settle down, and she's like, well, he's here. This asshole. This asshole. I don't know. I don't know, man. I truly don't know. Listen, you don't have to marry your childhood sweetheart. Maybe you're just fundamentally different people. I have to imagine, though, that with the comments of, like, with you being away half the time, I knew that the relationship wouldn't last, it wouldn't stand, blah, blah, blah. It was the same shit as the war, and he was cheating with, like, whoever. Ugh. That red-headed Air Force lady. Red-headed Air Force lady. Lady Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. Yeah. I have to imagine that's how it ended. I feel like I have a much clearer picture of how it ended than how it began. Yeah. Hate him. Explain yourself, Michael Grant. America explained. America explained. (laughs) This one is Kansas. This one is not our Kansas. Well, that happened. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I'll let you continue. My bad. No, I, I, I wanted to stop and discuss it and get your thoughts and feels. All bad. All bad feels. All bad. We don't like it. We don't like it here in Adam Don't Synonymous. like it one bit. Mm-mm. Do Ugh. not approve. Put the stamp of unapproval on that one. Dismissed. Goodbye. Into the dumpster. Okay. So Rhea married Strand. She felt like she had him a try. She knows like, ah, yes, duty. And Rhea flips through the bird and they try not to giggle like friends at their other friend's med school no. graduation. I demand that you give the full how she flipped her the bird explanation because uh, right. it was so good was it okay she like did it real low like she yeah like she like her put lap. her hand on her leg and then got her attention was like hey Janelle, look look, look down look, look, look down. down hey look at look at this see that yep see that <laughs> fuck you <laughs> it's very good so very so good. good so so, so good oh shit i love their friendship me too. I'm glad it could survive after all these years. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yay. So Frangie walks across the street. She gets her diploma. After taking time off to have children, delays getting through college, many grueling years of med school, she is finally a doctor. Hooray! And she married Walter Green. They had three children. Obel is there, her mother, and then Harder and his wife and their two children. The whole damn family's here, and we love it. Um, so after that, every, everyone starts filing out of the auditorium, and Rio spots Rainy in the back. 
And Rio is like, hey, what's up? And invites her for a drink. And Rainy said she wanted to see Frangie graduate because she felt bad about guilting her into staying after the whole Silver Star. And she wanted to see how it turned out. And Rio jokes like, oh, well, you didn't feel bad about guilting me into staying? And Rainy's just like, dude, nobody guilted you into West Point or Korea. And they all laugh together. Um, and they ask Rainy what she's been doing. And Rainy says she is but a simple bureaucrat working at the Department of Commerce, and Rio knows that is bullshit. But even after a beer at the Green household, they can't get any more information out of her, except that she did marry Halev. Hooray! Halev is adorable. Cute! We love that! Good job. Good for them. Um, neither she nor Rio had any kids, and they decided that Frangie was the one with the nurturing personality. Frangie's daughter Alicia comes over, and Rio starts to tell her about how her mother was very brave in the war. After the party is over, the goodbyes are said, Rainy begins to travel to Chicago with her driver and her assistant. She asks her assistant to look up the whereabouts of one Jack Stafford. Her assistant says that's a pretty common name. Rainy tells him to cross-reference the name with the service in the U.S. Army, and they can figure it out. They are CIA, after all. <laughs> fucking right they are fuck yeah we knew that was coming yeah I saw that from a mile away Rainy hell yeah I am but a simple bureaucrat from the department of commerce yeah okay okay Rainy me too Rainy yeah oh yeah I worked there too obituaries the obits Diane Scott aka Mackie who was one of the first generation of women to serve in the armed forces, had died after a brief illness. Scott began as an enlisted soldier before earning a commission and serving with the great distinction of World War II in Europe. Mackie is survived by her two grown children, a daughter, Jennifer Ann, and her son, Frank, and seven grandchildren. Services will be held. Jeannot Castain has died peacefully at her home in Beverly Hills, age 71. Castain was one of the original soldier girls and served with distinction during the Second World War, where she was awarded the Purple Heart for wounds sustained in Germany. After the war, Castain became one of the best-selling author, uh, uh, became the best-selling author of seventeen novels and one memoir. Castain is survived by four ex-husbands. She leaves her considerable fortune to her longtime friend Alberto Diaz and to the Soldier Girls Retirement Home in Petaluma, California. Luther Gere, decorated World War II veteran, shoe store owner, and social activist who successfully lobbied Congress for the Mazinar Japanese American War Memorial, has died at the age of 79. 69. Nice. Nice. I did laugh when I read, like, <laughs> I, I felt so stupid, but I was, like, died at 69, and I was like, <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, God. Gear earned a bronze star for bravery. He leaves behind his beloved wife, Ellie, and their nine children, 22 grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. Dear God. Too many. So Just many. too many. So, so many. A so hundred people. Oh my God. I like that he became a social activist, though. I got, yeah. When that happened, I was like, God damn it. That's so good, but like, <sighs> God damn it. I know. It's like... I don't know. I hated him so much. I know. And Me he, too. And like, grew into a better person. And I'm like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being a better person. I just wanted to hate you. <laughs> it was so much easier when you were a piece of shit. Right? 
Oh no. Elisheva Rainey Schulterman has died of undisclosed causes. Her age is not given. Schulterman served with a distinction in the U.S. Army in World War II. After the war, she took a job with the U.S. Commerce Department, later moving to the State Department. Schulterman is survived by her husband, Halev Leventhal. Attempts to garner additional details about her life were answered by Mr. Leventhal with the following statement. Rainey would roll over in her grave if I told you anything. I will only say that a great many people owe their lives and liberty to my brilliant, beautiful, and so very deeply loved wife. I love that. Beautiful. <laughs> that's that's love right there. It is. I will take her secrets to my grave. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. All you need to know is that she was amazing and I loved her. And Aww. you can fuck right off. Oh, I love it. Shit. I'm sorry it went yeah. so badly for Rio with Strand, but I'm glad that Rainey and Frankie got <laughs> some good guys. Ooh. Catherine, Cat Preeling Thomas, who was one of the original Soldier Girls, has died at the age of 76 after a long illness. Preeling Thomas is survived by her wife, Mary, by their adoptive children, Lingju and Carlos, and by their three grandchildren. Preeling Thomas worked for 28 years as an English teacher at Wilberforce Middle School before retiring. She is also known for her social activism, in particular her work for peace and for gay and lesbian rights. Social activists everywhere. Yeah, but doing the fighting the good fights. Hell yeah. All right. Dr. Francine Marr, known to her many patients as Doc Frangie, has died peacefully in her home at the age of 81. Marr kept her last name but enjoyed a 52-year marriage with businessman Walter Green, who passed some years ago. Marr served as a combat medic in World War II, one of the famed soldier girls. She earned a silver star for bravery under fire, as well as the Purple Heart. She is survived by her three children, eight grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. General Rio Ricklin, U.S. Army retired, has died at age 86 after a long illness. Ricklin was one of the historic soldier girls immortalized in a war memoir by author and close personal friend Jeanne Castain. General Ricklin rose from a private to a two-star general with distinguished service in World War II Europe and later in Korea. She earned the Silver Star and the Purple Heart in World War II, as well as the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest recognition for actions at the Chosen Reservoir in Korea. Ricklin is survived by her husband, Jack Stafford, a retired real estate salesman and decorated veteran. They did it! <laughs> I was much more happy about that one. Oh my god, I was so relieved. <laughs> Me too. That's so nice. Rainy got them back together. Probably, maybe. It's she absolutely got them back together. It was 100% Rainy that did that. Fuck yeah. God. Wonderful. All right. One last bit. One last bit. The epilogue. Many years later, undetermined amount of years later, we meet Sergeant Elizabeth Masters Gale, who is at a forward operating base in Castor, which I think is in Louisiana. Um, do, do not ask me these questions. I will. Uh, her corporal delivers some mail, actual snail mail, and a package. She looks at the return address and senses that the name is familiar. Inside the package is a lacquered box 18 to 20 inches long. She reads the letter. This is why I needed the book. Dear Elizabeth, I doubt very much you will remember me as we met only once briefly at your grandmother's funeral, but I have thought of you often since. I knew your grandmother very well. We served together in World War II. She was a very great woman, your grandmother. Anyway, as I write this, the doctors tell me I have less than a week left. 
I've left most everything to Jack, that's my husband, and his family. We never had children of our own, and when you're contemplating the end, you want to pass something along. In the box, you will find something that served me very well when I held your rank as sergeant. May it serve you well. Rhea Ricklin, Major General, U.S. Army, retired. P.S. You'll want to oil the scabbard from time to time. Ten minutes later, Elizabeth comes out into the glaring sunlight, the Kamiya strapped to her thigh. She barks at everyone to start digging some holes, and her corporal mutters, Fucking sergeants, they're all the same. That's the end of the That's whole the end thing. Of the- okay, my question is, yeah, whose grandkid is this? Thank you. I... <laughs> I'm so confused as confused as I am. It has to be Frangie, right? Because nobody else had kids. I guess. Yeah, because Chanel and, and Rainy didn't have kids. And Kat adopted kids. Yeah. So I guess it could be like one of Kat's. Yeah. I yeah. literally went back in the book and looked up all the last names that we saw recently. Me too. I had no idea. No fucking idea. No fucking idea. It's got to be Frangie. It's got to be. Okay, hang on. Give me the name again. Elizabeth Masters Gale. Elizabeth Masters. G-A-I-L? G-A-L-E. G-A-L-E. Purple Hearts. Somebody must have asked this other than us. Yeah, it's either Cat or Frangie. Uh, based on the women who had children and grandchildren in the obituaries, the grandmother could be Diane Scott, so Mackie, Cat, or Frangie. I like to think it's Frangie's granddaughter, but it was deliberately left vague in that MG could be the descendant of any of them. The tradition of women in combat has continued. Wait, nope. I asked Michael Grant this question. He has answered it. I just finished reading Purple Hearts, and I want to be sure I understand the ending correctly. Does Rio give the Kumia to Sergeant Captain Mackie's granddaughter? It's actually Frangie's granddaughter. Yes. We did it. We did it. We did it. Huzzah. Okay. Thank God we Googled that. That could have been a mystery forever. Hooray. we just knocked it right out. Hell yeah. Done. I love it. I love it. Well, we finished it. Kind of. Except then we found out that we got two more little books to read. Two more little side stories. Two more little side stories. So there is... Uh, one called Dead of Night, which was for International Book Day. Was that what it was written for? I'll look in the thing. It tells me right the in the thing. The Big World Book Day Prize. Wait. Yeah, World Book Day. World Book Day. So he wrote the short story. Yeah. It's like it's a literally tiny. like half an Animorphs book. <laughs> it's so little. It's so little. It's um, 86 pages. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's actually longer than the other one that we're going to read, which is called Soldier. Soldier Girls in Action. Yeah. So he wrote two frontline short stories, and I'm very excited to read these. I mean, too. I don't know what to expect. Me either, because it looks like Dead of Night was kind of like early, like if because reading the back. It just seems it's like Rio Rickland doesn't have superpowers. She's an ordinary woman, blah, blah, blah. Right now, Rio's only training, but soon the fate of the world will be in the hands of the soldier girls. So, like, this is early on. Yeah. Also, I just looked at this cover and the uh-huh. camouflage, the gray camouflage, is like people. Yeah. I didn't realize that at first. There's like. It's peebles. It's little people in different shades of gray, and there's explosions and flags. So that's so cool. Yeah. Dude, I didn't even register that. 
It's very cool. That's very cool. Very Man. Cool are all of the these versions of Frontline? Oh, I think they're all like that. Oh, yeah. Look at that. All the versions are like that. Dude, what the fuck? Shit. Shit. That's cool. All the Frontline's series covers are winners. They are. There, there really isn't a bad version of a cover for these books that we've seen. Yeah. It's all fucking great. Man, it is great. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to read these two little books because, like, I don't know. It's not often that you, like, get through it and you're like, I don't want to leave this yet. And then you're like, well, good news. <laughs> there are two secret stories. <laughs> what a treat. What a delightful treat. I just, I feel like, okay, not to humble brag or anything, but Michael Grant did retweet us today because we posted a part of this podcast and he retweeted that mm -hmm. and he said something like ah yes my best work read by maybe dozens of people and that <laughs> made me really sad because i'm like these are so fucking good these books are so fucking good i just i wish more people would read these me too um and like we like we always say when we summarize anything like we are summarizing barely any of it yeah. Like the feelings that you get from reading the book, the intensity of it is so much more than what we can summarize. Absolutely. But if we read them to you directly, we would be struck down by the copyright lawyers <laughs> with lightning bolts. Oh no. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so man. but for real, like read these books. It's they're incredible. Right. And like if people are put off by, like, the historical part of it, like, listen, I wasn't sure about World War II. Like, I don't naturally gravigate, gra gravigate? Gravigate. Gravigate. I don't naturally gravitate to war, war stories, especially, like, real wars that happen, because I'm like, oh, it's history. Like, that's, it's boring. It's school and stuff. No. Like, don't worry about that. It's, like, all of the good horrible feelings you get from reading Animorphs and, like, that kind of war story, but it's just applied to, like, a real war that happened and, like, events that were based on that war. Like, mm -hmm. like the feeling that you get is, like, the, the main takeaway. I've absolutely stolen a lot of stuff that happens in these books and, like, applied it towards Animorphs discussions in my head and out loud. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, an extension of those ideas. Yeah. Ah, just some very fucking good characters. So good. And some very, very bad characters. I mean, they're well written. <laughs> I just hate them so much. <laughs> yep. Oh. Strand motherfucking Braxton. Strand Braxton. Yeah, I, like, I have to say his name like that. Strand Brex. He's a nightmare from hell. He's a terrible man. Terrible, terrible man. Oh, I can write the most lovable and the most unlikable characters. I know, right? Ugh. Wow, what an ending. I know. And I very much worth talking about. Yeah. I'm very glad we read this series. Me too. I was dreading it. A little bit. Really? I was oh, like, no. This is gonna no, no, no. Just from like, a, oh, I'm really scared about yeah. the horrors that we're going to read about, and a lot of it was very horrible. Mm -hmm. But it's 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 worth it. It is. It is worth it. It is worth it. 
Oof. Yeah. <sighs> well, shit. They seem to be very good friends. <laughs> they seem to be so close. <laughs> they seem to really love each other. Oh they were the best god. pen pals. Oh my god, they were roommates. <laughs> my god, so I had an aunt that lived with her eccentric best friend in a mansion together. It was wild. <laughs> oh my god. I had I had neighbors that were a couple and I think my mom told me they were like just friends that lived together or something. Of course she did. I'm like Of course she did. Tell me. It's okay to tell your kids that gay people exist. Oh my god, you don't have to make it I mean, like if they don't want you to tell them, that's fine. Like that's their wish. Right, right. But, but if they're if they're open, they're out, they're yeah, together. Yeah. Why are you hiding it? <laughs> God uh, fucking damn it. Yeah. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know, man. There are worse people. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking my head. Yeah, me too. Uh, what else do we have about front lines as a whole or just this book or? I'm just, I, I'm, I'm glad that there's more, first of all. Yeah. I'm glad that there's a couple more books. And now that I've gotten through them all, like having read the first one before we started recording mm -hmm. and then like having read all three now, it didn't disappoint at any juncture. It was a Michael Grant book that at several points had like, you know, I had goosebumps. I had mm -hmm. horrifying emotions. I was going, no, 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 no out loud. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we're reading all of these books. I'm glad that we read these ones. Yeah. I don't understand how people can still, and like it's nostalgia, I get it because it's been a long time. I don't know how people can still look back at Animorphs with the goofy covers and all that shit and like not know the incredible writing that is in them. And that is just extended into like these, like I don't know how dozens of people and that's it could have read these and like i don't understand it i just yeah. don't understand it like the, this is an incredible series yeah maybe we can get like five more people to read it yeah <laughs> i hope we can because it's worth it yeah it's an it's amazing series super super underrated super underrated and incredibly intense and there's uh, it's it's a just a much more mature, yeah, feeling animorphs kind of book. And it's not an animorphs book. I I shouldn't keep saying that because that's not what it is. It's it's not like I'm not trying to say he's like rehashing the same thing or that right. it's the exact same thing. But like if you liked the feelings, if you liked the way that went, you will also like this book, and it's also much more mature. Yeah, if you like seeing a character have psychological consequences to war. Mm -hmm. there's more of that in this book and it's you know wonderfully nuanced and yeah like all all that good shit from animorphs it's it's absolutely by no means animorphs but like the core of the thing you're trying to accomplish which is to put these characters in a meat grinder and see what comes out the other side like you yeah. will get that from these books yeah and it's also like an incredibly interesting like just 
thought experiment to like what if there were women in World War Two, mm-hmm. and like there's so many points that like were interesting and intriguing and compelling that I would love to explore even more. Quite honestly, I was gonna say um, we didn't talk about the author's note at the end, but like, no, we didn't. Because like I think Michael Grant mentioned that like he wasn't sure like what the landscape of the United States would look like if women had been allowed to fight in World War II. It's like, what would that mean for, like, civil rights? What would that mean for, like, you know, equality and, you know, stuff like that? And he's like, I really don't know. Um, But, like, you can just feel the amount of research and the amount of love that went into this series as well. Like, it's not just a matter of, like, dropping random, you know, like, oh, this is this kind of panzer, blah, 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 or this kind of plane or whatever. It's not like that shit. It's like the wartime strategies and like the events that were real events, but that he fictionalized to get like the core of what this war was about. Like, mm-hmm. this is real good. And another thing about that that I really loved was that in the author's note, he made sure to point out like, I didn't want this to be me taking a real person's story and just uh-huh. swapping in somebody else. Yeah. He was like, everything that I wrote, I tried to write it not in like, you know, even if it was part of a main battle, this is not someone's story. Yeah. This is a story that could have happened within that context. Yeah. And that's, I, I really appreciated that as an author's note at the end, because mm-hmm. that's, it could have been so, so, shitty it feels like you know to take somebody's story and be like yeah but what if you a specific human that existed in time and witnessed all these horrors were a woman though just for my own like yeah i appreciated the care with which that was handled yeah and another thing for me is that i'm now much more interested in learning more about world war ii Mm -hmm. um you know there's still a part of me that's kind of like oh i don't necessarily want to see like people's heads exploding and shit like that but like i i I am am now much more interested in it from like a historical standpoint and i think anything that can like get younger people interested in history and in events that they might not be super knowledgeable about is always really good yeah it really feels like now more than ever we need a way to get kids to be like yeah so anyways People that have a different skin tone than me and women also are people too, right? Like, <laughs> can we just get that confirmed for me somehow? Like, dear God. And, uh, I can't believe that I have to say that. I can't, like, when we started doing this fucking five years ago, I never thought that I'd be sitting here going like, yeah, it's really great. We really need a reminder that, like, people of color, people of minorities and women are just also people. Because we forgot, like, holy shit. Shit's gone really wacky since we started this podcast. It has. Uh... And we could all use a historical reminder about why you should fucking get back on the right track here. <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out, you Figure motherfuckers. It out. Yeah. Oh, God. You ready for these short stories? I am. I'm excited. I don't know what. Either of them are about, and I'm ready to eat them with my eyes. Shall we invite people to to discuss things with us on various social medias? 
only if they promise to put these books on their to-be-read lists and just, just read these books, y'all. Anyway, yes, let's let's tell them how to contact us. Yes, okay. So when you read these books or if you need more discussion points to be said to you in a convincing manner, email me at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Animorphs Anonymous or Super Secret Super Awesome subgroup, the Andalite Bandalites or Apple Grant Book Club or you can go on to Twitter at Animorphs or Non or Apple Grant Cast or Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous or Apple Grant Cast. Any one of those places you can find me if you post in the Animorphs main group and you're like, hey, I'm looking for the randos that do Animorphs Anonymous. Generally, people know where to point you at this point. Like, I get tagged and shit on there sometimes that I have no idea how people fucking know. <laughs> and they'll tag me and I'll be like, this is a Christmas miracle. But generally, just like put it out there into the void and uh, there's a chance that we'll find you. You can also join there's Discord server that we frequent more more than more than our other places i would say um yeah oh yeah yeah and the most the most we're there 24 7 not 24 7 don't, don't sometimes it feels like that quite honestly. <laughs> oh no <laughs> in most of the daytime hours one or both of us is there um you can come to that and you could oh not only are we there other people are there that are really cool and they love animorphs and they're just really awesome people and we all hang out and have a good time. And you can come to that, to that Discord server. Uh, hit us up on any of our socials. We'll get you the link. And you can come be our friend in the Discord. But hang on, though. Oh, no. I want to read. I like this Discord idea. But yeah. I don't want to interact with human beings. I said beans. And I, I stand that. by it. I feel that. Uh, I do also want pictures associated with it and a uh, story. Could you make that happen for me? Okay, if you want minimal action, action, reaction, interaction with a human being, but you want to feel like you want to watch other human beings interact with each other in like a narrative setting, um, I make and draw a webcomic where that kind of thing happens. And it is called Beside You, and it is, get this, free to read on bsideucomic.com b-s-i-d-e-y-o-u-comic.com it is also free to read on tapas it is free to read, read on webtoons it is less free to read on patreon but you will see early pages you will see work in progresses you will see other bonus art and you will help me support you will support I'm god what are these words that are happening there's, there's out so of many order. of them it's okay any order works yes you can help support me making the comic if you go there at patreon.com slash KCD Studios. It's a good time. It's it's just folks having a good time in, in, in a community college and maybe falling in love and shit. I don't know. Who's to say? We'll find out. You know who's to say? Dan and I are to say. Because yeah. we do this Slater cast and for only... $8,426.52 a month. We will do that for you on Casey's Patreon. So patreon.com slash KCD Studios. Find us there. That's a fucking steal. That is a fucking steal. I've been slowly lowering the price $1,000 amount at a time. <laughs> One Ball day specials. we'll hit $1,000 a month. <laughs> 
It is not this day. <laughs> it is not this day. Oh, man. Well, I've done all that. It was great. I love the Slater cast. I want to listen to you speak more. I want all of the podcasts that feature you to be told to me right now on this podcast. Oh, shit. I could probably do that. I think I know a few that I'm on. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> one of them is Dungeons and Drakenbeams, which is an Animorphs D&D podcast. And that's not really like me, me talking on there. That's like my character talking on there. And she's different than me, but I like her a lot. Not as much as everybody likes Cameron. I think, no wait, I like her more. <laughs> it's Cam. It's, listen, that's going to follow him forever. It's, he did this to never, himself. He did this to himself. Um, if you want to know what you're, we're talking about, we did raps at the end of one of the episodes. So go listen to Dungeons and Dragon Beams. You can hear us all rapping, including me. It's great. It's horrible. <laughs> so if nothing else has compelled you to watch the show, know that we all had to write character raps and perform them. Oh, it's the best. Is it? Yeah. What you mean is Austin's is the best and the rest of us they're floundered all, so hard. They're all so good. It's not true. Nate's is actually really amazing. They're so. all amazing. Nate like fucking produced his shit. He did great. <laughs> Anyways, um, if you want to hear another show where I make an absolute fool myself, check out Host Girls. I am on that one with Famous Jenna and Appalachian Tim. And <laughs> they're the best. They're ridiculous. Uh, we have not performed raps on that show, but we did once yes. try to do Victorian accents. <laughs> it went it went super awry for Tim and I. And Jenna, Jenna just let us go for like... 10 minutes and then she busts out the most perfect goddamn victorian accent ever and it 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 destroyed us if we were already on the ground flat out defeated it just punched us into the center of the earth so if you want to listen to that check out whole skills we read uh heartland books but actually now we're kind of done with that so we're not going to do that we're switching into saddle club for a bit um we're dabbling in black beauty in uh just other horse books for a while we did a bunch of like special guest episodes for the uh, special heartland books and we had some amazing people on there that are on all sorts of other podcasts and things that are incredible so check it out horse girls it's great Bucky. so there you go that's what i got Thank you to Jess for our awesome theme music i can't make music quite as good as Jess no, but you could probably rap over it. Next time, it's a oh, Casey rap intro. Oh, oh, okay. Are we doing this? I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, this is going to be so good. Is it? Yes. I've never rapped in my life. Me either until recently. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can find at Dungeons and Drinking Names. I wish you wouldn't. Oh, no. you, you, you could not. No, no. You could not find my rap there, please. Required read. Oh, oh no. God. Now what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm so tired how, after how this How do we war. do outros? We let it go for seven minutes. Shit, Bam. have we gone for seven minutes? Probably. Dan. 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 What's time? Keep What's time our time? <laughs> Dan, if we hit the time limit... Dan! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
I hope he's listened all the way to the end, but stop paying attention because it is a seven minute outro. And all of a sudden he's like walking home in the streets and he's just hearing us going, Dan, Dan, come on, Dan. <laughs> Our poor sweet boy. Oh no. We have fun here. <laughs> I think. I think we have fun. Oh. I had a great time. No more Strand Braxton, probably. Well, shit, we have two more books to read. We can't promise that yet. He might not be in it, though. (gasps) Let's hope for no more Strand Braxton. Let us pray. To Michael Grant. Yes. To not submit us to any more Strand Braxton. We don't like him. Please make him go away. In his name, we dab.